0: Recently, I read in one of the daily papers somebody who made a comment saying, We have no archives in Trinidad and Tobago. Comments like that make me angry because I could be almost sure that person has never stepped into the National Archives of Trinidad and Tobago.
1: From the History Watch Project, this is the History Watch podcast series. Bringing you up close and personal with history in the real world with some help from people who know what they're talking about. I am Audra Dipti of the History Watch Project. Today, I'm introducing another episode of our podcast series. In this episode, you will hear Bridget Burreton, who is Professor Emerita of the University of the West Indies in Trinidad, as she's being interviewed by Professor David Trotman of York University. The interview was done in 2018 at the University of the West Indies Campus at St. Augustine. The two discuss a number of themes, including the politics of history, reparations for slavery, Caribbean regionalism, and the link between public history and collective memory. Professor Brereton is well-known and highly respected for her work on the post-emancipation Caribbean, gender in Caribbean history, and the creation of historical narratives. Her books include Race, Relations, in Colonial Trinidad, Law, Justice, and Empire, The Colonial Career of John Gorey, and The History of Modern Trinidad. Professor Brereton is a former president of the Association of Caribbean Historians, and she's also been awarded the University of the West Indies Vice-Chancellor's Award for Excellence in Research, Teaching, and Administration. For links to the historical organisations and various people referenced in their discussion Please see the podcast notes. This is the second year that the History Watch Project has published a podcast on Caribbean history that coincides with the annual conference of the Association of Caribbean Historians. We are going to try to commit to interviewing key members of the association each year in support of the excellent work being done by its members. This year, the annual meeting of the association is being held in Curacao. I'd like to thank Professor David Trotman for taking the time to interview Professor Burton while he was on a research trip in trinidad finally i'd like to remind listeners that they can find updates about the history watch project on instagram facebook and twitter or by subscribing to our website for regular updates on our podcasts you can subscribe to the history watch podcast series on itunes and stitcher and now listen in as professor david trotman converses with professor Richard Burton in this episode of the history watch podcast series entitled, History and its Impact on the Caribbean Present. Morning Bridget. Morning David. Good to to
2: see you again. Yeah, thank you. Good to see you too. Mm -hmm. What we're going to discuss this morning, among a number of things, is the whole question of the historical memory and the way this is unfolding in the Caribbean in general and in Trinidad in particular.
0: I mean, I certainly sense a much greater interest, at least in sections of the public, in the national past and the regional past. Mm -hmm. I think that there's much more consciousness of how developments in the past continuously shape the present. As Faulkner so famously said, the past is not, I'm paraphrasing, Mm -hmm. the past is not past, it's not even done and finished, Mm -hmm. you know, it's with us all the time. And I think there's more consciousness of that. And you see it in the newspaper where we have frequent columns and letters which are not, are not meant to be about history, mm-hmm. but which constantly refer to events in the past, often controversially. And then there may be replies and so on. So I think there is much more interest in retrieving, reinterpreting the national and regional past. I think there's much more awareness of the fact that there are always many narratives. The old-fashioned idea from old-fashioned textbooks that there was just one linear narrative of the national history or the regional history. I think many people, and not just you know, academically educated people, understand that there are many, many stories.
2: You made reference to your column in the, in the newspaper. How do you see this fitting into that?
0: So I would say my column is part of that effort to raise consciousness about the past. I write about issues and debates about history. And one thing I try to do is introduce the public to new books dealing in some way with the national or regional past, which I think feed into a consciousness about the past and how it shapes everything. Many of these books I'm well aware my readers are never going to read, sometimes about programs that I might have seen on TV. So I'm I'm hoping that in a modest way I can contribute to this raising of consciousness about the past. But David, as you well know, um, there are so many other media which are important. The radio, our colleague Irene Shepherd, is it radio or TV? Radio. Radio. She has a regular Saturday radio program in which she I think that's much of what I tried to do in the column, but using the radio media. Of course, says TV and social media, websites, blogs, and so on. My colleague and friend Jerry Besson, his Paria Publishing has a regular site called the Caribbean History Archive, and he posts material. So I think using all these media is important, and the hope is that my column, along with other people's efforts, will help to make people understand that the past is constantly shaping the present and will shape the future, and that there are so many stories to be told which we need to hear about and interpret and understand.
2: What kind of response Any way to check the response? For example, any debates that were generated because of the call-up?
0: Maybe debates, yes. I have tried to contribute to debates about what enslavement was like in Trinidad. I've tried to counter the myth, which is still has some traction, that slavery was somehow different in Trinidad. It was somehow more benevolent because the Spanish and the French were said to be more benign slave owners. I've tried to deal with that, in many columns I've tried to point out both the similarities and the differences between the enslavement experience in Trinidad and Tobago and the rest of the Caribbean. I have written quite extensively about indentured immigration. So I I suppose I am contributing to some of the debates which go on. I would say that other people's columns and letters have also sort of triggered off debate. But one thing I do try to do is write about current debate in Caribbean historiography and so on, of course, in a non-academic way. And so the fact that my columns are short, I have an absolute word limit, I can't go above 620 words, Mm -hmm. that's a great discipline.
2: I would like to discuss as part of a, a general discussion of the historical memory and public history, yeah. what's important in the region as well as in Trinidad. Could you tell me something about what is being officially done about public history?
0: Right. The National Trust of Trinidad and Tobago, which was assembled many years ago, has become quite active in the last few years. There's a very dynamic woman, Valerie Taylor, who is the CEO, and she has a team around her, which has really galvanized the National Trust, and they now have a very active program of tours, lectures all over the country. One of their functions of course is to preserve the physical and built heritage of Trinidad and Tobago. The legislation I believe is not as robust as it should be and we know there have been disasters. You will recall the Greyfriars Church disaster. So we lost an old church. It wasn't architecturally remarkable, but it was one of the older oldest Christian churches in Port of Spain. So that was certainly a loss.
2: There's also something about the church that I, uh, I role during the, the movement for the anti-slavery movement. Yes, the
0: Presbyterian minister mm. who was at the, ministering at the church in the late eighteen thirties and eighteen forties was a prominent anti-slavery activist, and he hosted events. And I think he was the main leader of the Trinidad branch, which existed for just a few years, of the British anti-slavery movement and so on. That's quite true, so there's a, a connection. With the anti-slavery movement and so on, that's quite true. So the legislation, as I be, as I understand it, is not as robust as it should be. Nevertheless, I think now I couldn't. If you'd been interviewing me three years ago, I couldn't have said this mm. in good. But now I think I can say that the trust is working hard and has had some success in building consciousness about our heritage, our built heritage, our architectural heritage. Excuse me, our natural heritage too. For example, for the last three years, they've had a lecture series in November. Last November, for example, one of them was by our colleague Rita Pemberton, and she was talking about the main ridge in Tobago, which is a protected area with a very interesting history. And actually, they hope the National Trust is working towards preparing material which could submit the main ridge to UNESCO to put it on the heritage 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 site site and so on. It it claims to be the oldest protected area, protected for environmental purposes in the New World. Can't say for sure that's true, but it certainly was declared a reservation to protect the rainfall as early as the 1770s, which is very, very early. So I think the National Trust has been doing a lot. There is a private organization, Citizens Conservation. One of the leading people behind it is the historical architect, Rudelin Roberts. Before the National Trust was really active, Citizens for Conservation was the main voice in the nation which attempted to preserve our built heritage. And there's a group of very dedicated people who run Citizens for Conservation. They work hand in hand with the National Trust. Recently, I read somewhere in one of the daily papers, somebody who made um, a comment in a public forum saying something like, we have no archives in Trinidad and Tobago. You have to go to London to get everything. Mm -hmm. Comments like that make me angry because I can be almost sure that person has never stepped into the National Archives of Trinidad and Tobago. That archives is professionally run. It is a delight to use it. They are very helpful. Of course they could do with a lot more money. Of course they need more money in order to microfilm all the old newspapers which are falling apart. But we have a perfectly respectable small National archive. It is underused. I always think of it as one of the unsung treasures. One thing I have done in the columns is try to big up the National Mm -hmm. Archives and let people know it exists. It's open to the public. So the National Archives obviously has a very important role in safeguarding our documentary heritage and making it available. Every year they have a National Archives Week. They have exhibitions and public lectures and workshops. I can think. So I would say there's a number of institutions and individuals who are working to try to preserve the built and cultural heritage and raise public consciousness. There's the Heritage Library of Nales. That's the Library the Research and Legal Deposit Library, which is housed in the National Library. There's our Armour Jordan Library here at UWI. For a long time, when the National Library was not particularly well resourced, the Armour Jordan Library it functioned like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now it works in tandem with the Heritage Library in Port of Spain, and each, therefore, is a custodian of much of the documentary and pictorial legacy and heritage of Trinidad and Tobago.
2: What about the evidence from Tobago and the situation in Tobago?
0: I have a feeling that. Tobagonians may be more history conscious, perhaps, than Trinidad. Mm. Because of the long quest for autonomy, they have used their history as a tool in building up the Tobago narrative, as I call it, Mm. you know, the Tobago narrative, Mm. which highlights the differences in Tobago history and Tobago character. Perhaps they have got a history consciousness embedded more, perhaps, than Trinidad. Tobago House of Assembly has a long standing interest in helping to promote historical consciousness in Tobago. Our colleague Rita Pemberton has a regular column on Tobago history. Is it called the Tobago Times? It's a paper that doesn't reach Trinidad. Yes,
2: what do you see as the more significant developments in Recent post emancipation Caribbean history, or in Caribbean history in general?
0: Well, I think. um, kinds
2: of new areas that people have moved in. In
0: general, I think what we've seen is an explosion of interest in the post slavery period. 20, 30 years ago, people were very much focusing on the slavery period. And the period between the 1830s and the 1930s was a bit of a dark age. But that hasn't been true for decades. There's been an explosion of work. I mean, you and I contributed to that for. 19th century, post-slavery, Trinidad history, and there's been a lot of similar work for all the major Caribbean territories. So I would say much more interest in the post-emancipation century and a turn to social history and then a turn to cultural history. Mm -hmm. So I would say cultural history is perhaps in recent times the most interesting development in the field of Caribbean history. I often think of the work of somebody like Susan Craig James, who is technically not a historian. She was trained as a sociologist, but she is a brilliant social and cultural historian. Another example is Maureen Warner-Lewis, who of course was trained as a linguist and brings her skills as a linguist, a historical linguist, to write social and cultural history. So I think that that's a development. I, I would say that we share with the discipline as a whole a determination to try to write the history, research the history from a more egalitarian and democratic Absolutely. perspective. History from the bottom up, as mm-hmm. we used to say. And try to understand. The sources often don't make that easy. Try to understand what ordinary people, enslaved people, ex enslaved people, indentured immigrants, ex-indentured people, middle-class people, all kinds of working people and others, try to understand how they experienced the events of Caribbean history and how they shaped it and developed it. Gender history and women's history, of course, has come, in, come into its own in the Caribbean in the last 20, 25 years. So I would. Say These are the broad developments in which we are sharing in some of the trends in the discipline as a whole because, of course, we are part of a broader community of historians.
2: historians. What about the view you were discussing last week They turned to more 20th century history?
0: Yeah, right. Traditionally, (laughs) conventional historians have shied away from what used to be defined as contemporary history, which was usually seen as the last 50 years or so and historians have often said, oh, well, we're not ready to write about those events. We haven't got the perspective that time gives you, and many of the documents are not open Mm -hmm. because most great archives in the world operate a 30-year rule, or sometimes Mm -hmm. a 50-year rule, and so on and so on. So contemporary history, so-called, was often left to the political scientists. Yeah, I think that is breaking down. I think a lot more historians are venturing into contemporary history. Public history, of course, feeds into that, too. One of the developments I didn't mention, and you, David, have contributed yourself to this, are the controversies about naming and renaming. Your article, I think, was the first to you know, set out some of the issues there and to explain that the post-independence governments were extremely conservative and cautious in not renaming. As you know, um, this has come into the open now. We have groups agitating for renaming, for excising from public memory by street and similar names of villains villains of the past we have the very energetic group called the Cross Road Project Mm -hmm. run by Shaka Kambon and I greatly admire what they're doing because they're young people they are very energized about the past I certainly wouldn't want names like Picton and Woodford to disappear now Picton was an out-and-out villain and Woodford was a deeply racist governor but Mm -hmm. they were so important Mm -hmm. in the history of the, that I would want their names to remain with all kinds of public education I so renaming and of course related to the renaming controversy statues and I think these controversies, they do generate a great deal of heat, Mm -hmm. but I think they're very important because if they do nothing else, they force us all to think about the past and Mm -hmm. how we interpret the past. Anniversaries do the same. Mm -hmm. Quite often in my columns, I try to hook my column to an upcoming anniversary or event or public holiday, Mm -hmm. whether it's Emancipation Day, Arrival Day, Spiritual Baptist Day, because all these events, again, trigger off discussion and reflection about the past that can have its, its negative repercussions if the discussion is too clearly involved in trying to promote one group, whether it's ethnic or religious, at the expense of other groups. But in general, it's positive because, again, it elevates public consciousness about the past.
2: To the extent that you can gauge public response... How did the public respond to this question of renaming?
0: I think probably the broad public is not particularly interested in it. Mm -hmm. But um, there there are many groups that are interested in it. It it often involves a lot of emotions because, for example, kick out Christopher Columbus. This upsets a lot of people who see Columbus as a great figure, as indeed he was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The figure who brought the new world into regular contact with the old world. And perhaps people of European ancestry or part mm. European ancestry think it's an attack on Water. white people or yes, European yes, people yeah. in general. So it, it generates this kind these kinds of emotions. I really have not got the means to assess what the broad public thinks, but there are certainly sections of the community who are interested in the debates, pro or con. You remember when they write Queen Street in Port of Spain is now Queen Penny. It was quite a bit of debate about that. And I mean Queen Queen Street is generic. We are not dethroning Queen Elizabeth or anything like that. I know some historians do take the position that we shouldn't change any name because every name reflects something. I don't think we should allow ourselves to be boxed into that. Mm. For example, George V. Park. Who is George V? He had no connection with China. He just happened to be a monarch. So to rename it Mandela Park after an individual who is probably the most admired human being on, on the planet, I had no problem with that at all. Oh. But I would have a problem with Woodford. I would, mm. because Woodford, for all his many, many limitations, was a very important person in our history. Seems. I know this is a wishy-washy answer, but it seems to me that every renaming proposition must be considered considered on its own
2: merit.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, we mustn't box ourselves in the position don't change anything or, or change it. everything. British, yes. We mm-hmm. must consider each one on its merit. Even fiction should be there because of his importance mm-hmm. in our history. But of course there should be a whole heap of public education. So I really think every case should be considered on its merit.
2: In the same area, you know, popular concerns with historical memory, etc. The reparations movement. What do you think has been the response in out to the reparations movement?
0: Well, there's so many ironies mm. in that. As I'm sure you know, the previous government did set up a Trinidad and Tobago reparations committee, Mm -hmm. which I I believe, following on the CARICOM resolution, each each Mm -hmm. nation state was asked to do that. So the previous government did do it, and Mr. Omey was made the chairman. He has complained publicly in the newspapers that Mm -hmm. the new, well, the current government has basically ignored the committee completely. It hasn't disbanded the committee, but it's ignored it. So I can only conclude from that, that the current government is not particularly interested in Trinidad and Tobago taking any sort sort of leading part in the Mm reparations, movement. That's the government. I can't speculate why. In terms of the broad public, I think there is relatively little interest in the broad government. I don't need to tell you, David, that the situation with respect to reparations in Trinidad is very different from what it is in Jamaica Mm -hmm. or Barbados. There is a huge elephant in the room, which is that um, a very large percentage of the Trinidad population are not descended from enslaved Africans. Mm-hmm. Should reparations be extended to the descendants of indentured Indians? Should they? Should they? Should they not? So it's really quite controversial in Trinidad. I assume it must be in Guyana too. Now, to judge the sort of broad public sentiment is very difficult. I clip from the newspapers, letters or articles dealing with it, and I haven't come across anything about reparations except Mr. Orme's complaint. So all I can conclude is that the current government is not interested, and the broad public, by and large, is not. Interested. Where it's going to go at the CARICOM level, I can't tell you. I mean, it is obvious that the current British government is not going to pay slightest attention. No. But that doesn't mean, and Hillary Beckles makes the point, you know, that you can't think in the short term, that this might mm-hmm. be a very long term movement. And mm-hmm. so, so I accept that. I have no doubt that the moral case for reparations is strong, and there's probably a legal case too. Mm-hmm. Plenty of people are alive who are enduring some of the legacies. So reparations is something that may in the long term be an important movement, but I, I don't think TNT is going to be taking a leaning role
2: and largely because of the peculiarity of, of our historical yes. development and yeah. what this means for the positions that people take.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Although, I mean, I'm, I'm not fully understanding why the current
2: government seems... In- I was about to say that, that they probably have this conservatism about yeah. historical, yeah. the use of history, despite yes. the fact it's a party founded yeah. by a, a by well-known historian. One last area, it's the
0: question of regional integration. I honestly, from what I can gather, cannot say that the movement towards regional integration is making progress at all. So for the first time, serious people are thinking in terms of really what is the purpose? Because taxpayers pay for a sub- to support, for
2: support,
0: support. Mm-hmm. and the fact that the Jamaicans are speaking quite openly about Good whether word. it makes mm-hmm. sense for their mm-hmm. nation to remain mm-hmm. part of Caricom. The fact that the Jamaica and TNT have not yet signed up to the Caribbean Court of Justice, the Privy Council is still active, active yes, as mm-hmm. our our final yeah. appellate court.
2: There's so many of the institutions that. Might mark their sense of regional integration are collapsing. Yeah. As a historian, I'm wondering whether this has a lot to do with the narrowness of yeah. how the thing is conceived, uh, the yes, slow so. move towards moving beyond the Anglo-Caribbean into the wider I Caribbean. I think
0: that's part of it, but even in terms of the Anglo-Caribbean. Now, definitely narrowly conceived mm-hmm. and um, not really impacting on ordinary people's lives, yeah. you know. For example, such a simple thing of a, a group of small small nations having a common ambassador or high commissioner. No, we haven't even been able to do that. Which is something that
2: we've raised since 1962. Since, since
0: 1962. Mm-hmm. And it's such an obvious mm-hmm. thing that you could have one individual, mm-hmm. maybe not in London, possibly not yeah. in Washington, not but yet. at least Certainly
2: in either Europe. parts yeah. of Europe, Australia.
0: In Australia. Yes. A free movement of certain types of people—I mm. I don't think that has worked particularly well. No. I mean, we are still deporting all kinds of Caricom mm-hmm. citizens first who first. are not judged to be desirable. Um, but I mean, I know many of the region's finest minds remain devoted regionalists, integrationists.
2: Again, back to the question of historical memory yeah. and, and but that, but historians have historians done much to really f- encourage this regional feeling?
0: Maybe not. I know they did in the past. Mm-hmm. For example, in 1961, when the famous referendum was held in Jamaica, quite a few prominent Mona historians, so involved like Roy Ogier, yeah.
2: campaigned
0: yeah. Yes. for remaining, mm-hmm.
2: and uh, that
0: was quite brave of them because mm-hmm. they weren't all Jamaican citizens. Mm-hmm. Roy was a St. Lucian citizen. Elsa Gervaia campaigned too. And yeah, I mean, historians have written about it and have mm-hmm. supported it and so on. Maybe historians should have done more. I don't know. But, I mean, the success or failure of the regional movement was never driven by academics. It was driven or not driven by politicians.
2: By politicians, yes.
0: Although I agree academics played important roles, mm. I mean, from Arthur Lewis on, yes. conceptualising.
2: Mm. But it never was mm. a part of the general historical understanding of all of parts. The, the The necessity for yeah. this, at, at a popular level. Popular. Yes, they are academic, talked about it, but at a popular level.
0: definitely in the CSEC and k syllabus The kids who do history at CSEC learn about movements towards federation, and they learn about federation. I mean, that's a module. But at the popular level, you're probably right, and if it's like that in Trinidad, it would be even less enjoyable. in
2: Jamaica? In yes. Yeah.
0: So I'm not... Optimistic about that.
2: Any final words on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, just to say that I admire the work that Audra is doing in mm. her the History Watch program. I think actually many historians and other writers in the wider diaspora have contributed enormously mm. to the rewriting and reinterpreting of Caribbean past. So I think it's very important and I'm glad to have contributed in some small way.
2: Thank you very much, Professor Burton.
1: Thank you, Dave. that brings us to the end of this episode of the history watch podcast history and its impact on the caribbean present in which professor david trotman sat in conversation with professor bridget brereton of the university of the west indies for links to the historical organizations and various people referenced in their discussion please see the podcast notes
0: the history watch podcast series is coordinated by dr audra dipty To learn more about the History Watch Project, visit us at historywatchproject.com. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye.